Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The Old Testament book of Habakkuk and Habakkuk in chapter number 2. Habakkuk in chapter number 2. Now we're continuing with our series of the Minor Prophets and what we're doing is giving our folks a taste, a survey of these Minor Prophets, taking one Minor Prophet a week, going Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and giving a kind of taste and overview so that when folks go to read the Bible for themselves, they have a better understanding and they could dig through the Minor Prophets with a little bit more of a knowledge. Now as we find our way to the book of Habakkuk, one of my favorite books of the Bible, period, this wonderful passage here records something different. Now remember, most of the minor prophets are addressed to a specific people, to Nineveh, to Judah, to Edom. Now the book of Habakkuk is different because it records a conversation between God and his prophet. That it begins with a prophet going to the Lord in prayer and Going to God saying, Lord, have you seen our situation of our country? It's falling apart. The laws are slack. There are more people doing wrong than doing right. There's violence and no one's stopping it. Lord, what are you going to do about it? And to a surprise, God answered. And you'd be surprised if God spoke to you in the midst of your prayers as well. And God said, let me tell you what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to do something so wondrously that if I told you what it was, you wouldn't believe me. He says, are you ready? Ye among the heathen. I'm going to send the Babylonian empire to come, destroy your city, destroy the temple, take your people, transport them thousand miles away. And Habakkuk said, how's that going to fix everything? God said, I told you you wouldn't believe me. And through here, there's a conversation going on between the prophet and between God as the prophet saying, but they're worse than we are. And God says, I know. In fact, they're worse than what you even know. Let me tell you about them. And he tells them about it. And God does something and he's telling them, this is what I'm going to do to fix your problem. Now remember, we had spoken about the problem of the people. The problem of the people throughout the beginning of Israel's history is they continue to try to rely on God or some other God rather than Jehovah God. They were either trusting in God or they were trusting in something else. That was their whole problem. And so how was God going to fix their problem of them depending on everyone else but God? Well, he was going to send them to a country that had even more false gods than what they had. You said, how does that work out? I don't know, but I do know that they're one of the most monotheistic people there are today. See, God knew what he was doing. And then we explored on Sunday night as Habakkuk was praying for revival. And we took time to pray for revival and to explain about revival. And explaining that revival, as much as we want it for churches, start with an individual. And they spread to churches. And that we explained more about revival from the passage of Habakkuk. And we understood that revival isn't the idea that God makes everything better. But instead we see in wrath, remember mercy. That we saw that even when everything was falling apart. And God says that everything's going to fall apart. 
I can still bless you and I can still use you that you are people who are revived, people who have the power of God to still be a help when everything else is falling apart. Now, as we've been talking a lot about revival this year, and that's our desires to see revival, we're now turning into a passage. We're kind of doing things backwards. We hit Habakkuk chapter 3 on Sunday, but now we're going back to Habakkuk chapter 2. And now if we truly want revival, we truly want what God can do, we truly want the impossible, we now have to see what makes or breaks revival. Now, if there is one thing that makes or breaks revival, wouldn't you want to know about it? Wouldn't you want to have a clear understanding of the doctrine of the teaching? What is it that would hold back revival? What is it that would hold us back from revival? Well, it's something so subtle. It is something so in our everyday lives that we sometimes don't even recognize that we're in this sin that holds back revival. We're going to explain about it as we now look to the book of Habakkuk chapter number 2. The book of Habakkuk chapter number 2, and notice with me starting at verse 1. The book of Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says this, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Habakkuk chapter number 2? The book of Habakkuk chapter number 2, and notice with me in verse number 4. Habakkuk chapter 2, and notice with me in verse number 4, the phrase, the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. With the Lord's help, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, I'm just asking and begging that you would do a work. That you would open up your scripture. That you would illuminate our hearts. That your Holy Spirit would have free reign. Lord, with the subject, with the matter that we're going to deal with. I recognize in my own self how easy it is to be not dependent upon you. To try to get across what I want. So the best that I know how, I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. I die to my ambitions, my goals. I die to my desires, what I think should get accomplished. I set that all aside. You just do what you need to get done. You just use me as your instrument. Fill me with your spirit. That you would expose, that you would let us be humble enough to allow you to have the spotlight of your Holy Spirit to search in our own hearts. That we would be like the prophet here, that we would wait and see what you would rebuke us and prepare to respond properly. Help us even now. Let us get some great victory by faith because of the preaching of your word. 
And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the prophet Habakkuk now has been told that ye among the heathen, that I'm going to send the Babylonians, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to send destruction. As he has received this message, we now find him in chapter 2 and verse 1, and we see him at a certain spot. Notice with me in chapter 2 verse 1. And I will stand upon my watch, and set me upon a tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Notice is the prophet Habakkuk now. He's standing upon the tower. And he is anticipating. He's searching. He's planning. For God to tell him what he is doing wrong. You know as he's searching for revival. He's searching for God to do something. He's waiting for God to do something. Notice he approaches God with such a humble spirit. He's making the assumption. Lord you correct me. You know, it's quite easy for him to say, you know, let me tell you about those priests down there. We could read about them in Jeremiah. Let me tell you about those false preachers. Let me tell you about the king. Let me tell you about this. It's so easy to point out what other people are doing wrong. But if we're truly going to prepare for revival, what is it that I need? What is it that I need to be reproved on. Notice again. Again this is all introduction. But I will stand upon my watch. And set me upon the tower. And watch to see what he will say unto me. And what I shall answer when I'm reproved. You know you could tell a lot about a person. By how they respond to rebuke. He had prepared himself to listen. He had prepared himself for God to speak to him. We'll touch more upon that here in just a bit. But I want to start off. That's where he was at. He was preparing himself. I want you to speak to me. And I want you to tell me where I'm wrong. I don't want you to sugarcoat it. I don't want you to make me feel better. Tell me where I'm wrong. What needs to be fixed. So I'm not a hindrance to what you want to get accomplished. By the way that requires waiting. That requires waiting. Notice verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables, that he may run when he readeth. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end he shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come and not tarry. Once again in verse number 1, he's having the, the appearance. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. You know Waiting on God is the ultimate form of worship. But waiting on God is one of the hardest things to do. Because the waiting has to be done by faith. We're people who like to do. We're people who like to go. And may I say, because we're always on the go. Because our minds are already prepared. Because we don't like to wait. Again, I'm not going to try not to get too fast. But you know what happens? Because we're not willing to wait. We're not willing to Listen. We tell people all the time. As long as you're talking. You're not listening. As long as you're talking. You're not listening. That even goes to preparing to respond. Sometimes when we listen to people. We're trying to think about what to say. Instead of listening. Instead of waiting. And we don't wait for God to be finished. We hear a little part of what God says. And then we take off. But there's an idea of waiting. 
All this is going to build up into a second. But I'm showing some different things as we're going to it. We must believe that the time spent with God waiting on him is never wasted. It is never wasted time to wait on God. In fact, the Psalms speak about this, that those that wait on him shall not be ashamed. You will never be ashamed for stopping and waiting on God. Now again, we're so impatient. We want to do something and we just want to go and we want to take a little piece of the information that we don't listen. We don't wait. We don't expect God to speak to us. We just are waiting to go to the next thing and to the next thing. But it's during the waiting that God is preparing us to receive the answer. You know, sometimes God has the answer for us right away, but we're not at the place where we could receive it. And even if we do hear it because we're not prepared, we don't understand it. This waiting on God is a key thing. Now, all of this goes to one thing. Faith. Faith. Can you trust God? Can you depend upon God? Can you see Him? That's why Habakkuk 2.4. All of the Christian life revolves around this verse of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the opposite of the just shall live by his faith. What we see here is that the world versus the word. It comes the idea of faith or living your life by force. You see, you live your life one of two ways. You live your life trusting and depending on God, or you live your life trying to force things to happen, trying to make things to happen, trying to do things in your own strength. Now, we all know that we can learn great things from simple toys. For example, and our church is used to this illustration, that's why I have it up here, that you can take the circle block and you could fit it into the square hole. Now, it doesn't happen easy, but it takes some force. And that's what the life is like. We live our life where we're going to make it work. And so we're going to force, we're going to manipulate, we're going to make things happen. And you just make it happen. Instead of let it happen easy. When you trust God, when you live the faith life, it is the better life. Because God does the work for you. Instead of you have to do the work for you. Now we come to the message. That's the introduction that's setting it up. Let's now talk about faith because we want to live the faith life. And if we're going to have a revival, it's only done by faith. So the first thing I'd like to show you here is the object of our faith. The object of our faith. More important than our faith is the object of our faith. It doesn't matter how much faith you have as much as it does the object of your faith. May I prove it? There are many people who consider themselves environmentalist, And they are more dedicated to their cause than we are as Christians. But because they have so much faith in nature. And so much faith in Mother Earth. Does that save them? It does not. Because their faith, as sincere as it might be. And as great as it might be. Is placed in the wrong object. Faith must be placed in the right object. What is the right object? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Now the phrase the just shall live by faith. 
is quoted three times by the Apostle Paul found in the New Testament Scriptures. It happens to be, in my personal opinion, his life verse. It was the verse that he lived by. The just shall live by faith. And if you are familiar with the Apostle Paul's writings, you could probably agree with that because all of his elements of his epistles dealt with the idea, the just shall live by faith. Now, as the Apostle Paul did commentary on this verse, as he used it three different times in the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and the book of Hebrews, maybe we could take some time just to look and see what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said about this phrase, the just shall live by faith. We're turning back to Habakkuk, but I want to show you the New Testament idea of this as we find it. First of all, look with me at the book of Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans chapter 1. Now again, if the Bible says something once, it's pretty important. If it repeats it again twice, it's very important. If God repeats it four different times, then it is vital. We must place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. So therefore, let's look and see as we're seeing the object of our faith, what does it mean that the just shall live by faith? Well, as we come to the book of Romans chapter 1, the book of Romans chapter 1, and notice with me if you don't mind in verse 17, Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That phrase, faith to faith, carries the idea from the beginning of faith to the end of faith. By the way, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. What is our faith based off of? From faith to faith, it starts with God. That God is always previous. That God always sets it up. As we're dealing with the idea of revival. Revival doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. That God sets up His Holy Spirit. He gives us the information. He tells us the word. He sends us preachers. He does it all. And then how does it end? Well, it ends with God. God's the one who brings revival. God is the one who actually activates his spirit. He's the one who works. It is God that does it all. It begins with God. It ends with God. Therefore, our element from faith to faith is faith. Our part is to trust God through the whole process. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. You know, you could take that idea of faith to faith to anything. Think about salvation. Salvation does not begin with us and it does not begin with our need. It begins with God. For God so loved the world. Then it ends up with God. That God is the goal. What happens because of our salvation? Salvation is not just to make us feel better. It is so we can worship God forever. We're looking at Him. And in the middle of it is our part. We are to look by faith. Because God is the goal. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. That's what it means from faith to faith. We must believe this and understand this. Nothing begins with us. And nothing ends with us. Our response is to make God the goal. Looking unto Jesus. There, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the next time that is mentioned in the book of Galatians, chapter 3. The book of Galatians, chapter 3. Again, we're just understanding 
this part of faith. Understanding that it is not the amount of faith that is as important as the object of our faith. That our part is just looking unto Jesus. That it begins with God. It ends with God. God is the goal. God is the one we're looking to. We're just faithing Him. Looking at Him. Our foundation is God and His power. Notice with me in Galatians chapter 3. And notice with me verse 11. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. For the just shall live by faith. We understand this is dealing with salvation. And as it deals with salvation, we understand we don't have that part in it. God did it all. That justifying faith is not, do I live a good life? Do I, am I a good person? Do I keep the law? Do I keep the Ten Commandments? Do I do this ritual? Do I do this? Our salvation is based off of Jesus Christ and Him alone. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a good person. Not because I'm a preacher. Because Jesus Christ forgave me and he died on the cross for me. That we understand that our faith is in our object of our faith. That the just shall live by faith. What does that mean? It means that we're trusting in Christ. That's how we're living it. It's not me that does anything. It is God that does it all. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. Notice as we now go to the New Testament book of Hebrews and see the third mentioning of this idea that the just shall live by faith. The book of Hebrews chapter number 10. The book of Hebrews chapter number 10. The book of Hebrews chapter number 10 and notice with me in verse 38. Hebrews 10 38. 10 38. It says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now some people get confused on 38 and 39 and trying to see this drawing back into perdition. But what it's doing, and it's going to lead into the next couple chapters, is it's describing that if faith is what we're trusting in, we will not draw back. Do you know there are some people who have an academic head knowledge of the Word of God? And when hard times come, because their, their belief is not in faith in Christ, that when hard times come, they draw back. Because there's nothing it's anchored to. They don't have their faith anchored to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when hard times come, it is hard for them to trust in God. It's things, they're going to freak out. They're going to, we've seen things this last year of living in fear. Now, how do you say that, preacher? Well, because the context, notice in the next chapter, we often call the hall of faith chapter. And that over and over, you have by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith Moses' parents, by faith, by faith, by faith. And what you see here is each of them had a time where they were confronted with a hard choice. And they trusted in God. Their faith was trusted in God in the midst of that hard time. They didn't draw back. But even when it was impossible, they trusted God. Give you an example. It talks about Abraham and Sarah. By faith Abraham. By faith Sarah. What was so important about them? Well, God promised them that they were going to have a child. Well, that was nice and all, except Sarah was 70. Then Sarah was 80. Then Sarah was 90. Sarah, this time next year, at the time of life, you're going to have a baby. 
You know how impossible that was to believe at that time? Now, we were talking about this the other day. Not only do you have to give birth to the child, but now you have to raise the child. You know how many 20-year-olds are tired after chasing a toddler? Imagine being 90 and chasing a toddler. And then going through the teenage years when you're 100? Where do you get the energy? This is an impossible task. I mean, it's impossible just to have birth, but now i got to raise this guy? You understand, they had to trust God by faith. And over and over, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And their object of their faith was in Christ. Their object of faith was in God and His promises. And because it was trusted in God, they did not go back. They did not disappear. They did not quit. Because their faith was in God, even in the impossible situations. For with God all Things are possible. Then we come to Hebrews chapter 12. Now remember, Hebrews chapter 11 describes faith. It tells us what it looks like, what examples of it is. But in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, we see that faith is defined. Faith is defined. What is the definition of faith? Well, here's a good definition. Hebrews 12 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. What is the definition of faith? Looking unto Jesus. Because it is the object of our faith that matters. It's not how much faith I have. It is what I'm putting my faith in that matters. And it's putting your faith in Christ. Now this is encouragement because sometimes you may have a little faith. That's why Jesus said, if you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, that's small faith. You can move mountains. Why? Because it's not how much faith you have. It is the object that you are placing your faith in. And with God, all things are possible. What I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to encourage you, and what we're leading up to is trying to describe what faith is. It's looking to Jesus, living from faith to faith. It begins with God, it ends with God. Our part is to trust God. It is not dependent upon us. That is going to be key. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Hebrew or to the book of Habakkuk. Now, if we said the object of our faith is the thing that matters, and we understand that it begins with God, it all ends with God, that God is the goal, our part is to trust in Christ. He will do the work. Now we come to this, what holds back revival. What is it that holds back revival? Well, I want to show you the second thing here. I want to show you the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith. Now normally if we would go to any average person, every, any average Christian, a church person, and ask them, what is the opposite of faith? Their standard answer would be unbelief. But let's see what the Bible answer is. Notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That word but is a conjunction, and it carries the idea that it's continuing the thought, but now it's the opposite of. So what is the opposite of the just shall live by faith? The soul that is lifted up. 
What is the opposite of faith? Pride. Because you are either trusting in God or you're trusting in something else. Most likely ourselves, our will, our intellect, our strength. You are either trusting in God or you're trusting in something else. Remember, we're talking about faith that it begins with God. It ends with God. Our part is to make God the goal. We're looking at God. He does the work. But when we feel like we must do the work, we feel like it's dependent upon me. Now, let me pause that when I say that we must do the work. We must be obedient to God, but we trust that he does the work. He does the work through me. I'm human instrument. He does. Only God can do his work. I'm just the instrument. So I'm not saying that we sit in our hands and do nothing. But where we realize is it's not dependent on me. I, my job is to be obedient because I trust him. But it's not me. It's not my winning personality. It's not my smile. It's not how I shake hands. It's all about God. He does the work. When it comes to the time that it's dependent on me, we're now holding back revival. The Bible says clearly in the book of James that God resisteth the proud. What does that word resist? Well, it carries the idea that if I was to have a young person and they were to push against my hand and they would put weight, what would happen in order for me to keep them from going somewhere, I would give resistance. So often we could try to do good things and we could try to do God's things and we're resisted because it's us that's trying to do it. Our intellect, our emotions, our whatever... We hold back God from working. Now that sounds good. May I be specific so that way we can really understand? The idea of trusting in God carries the idea that I don't know what I think I know. I'm not as smart as I think I am. I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm not as good looking as I think I am. Now pride carries two definitions. Most time we think of pride, we think of the guy who says, look at me, how awesome I am. But then you have the other side, which is still pride. God can't use me. I'm worthless. You understand? It's not dependent on you. You could be the worst worthless vessel and it doesn't matter because it's all God. It all depends on God, not us. Now let's make it practical. If you forgive the personal illustration, uh, let me jump with another illustration first, then I'll get to a personal illustration. Forgive me for that. Dr. R.A. Torrey was known as the apostle of certainty. That whenever you would ask him something, he says, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? He makes it simple. Someone will say, well, I'm having problems with this. What does the Bible say you should do? Well, the Bible says I should do this. Then how come you're not doing it? Well, what does the Bible say? You either believe the Bible or you don't. God makes things simple. Well, how come things aren't changing? Did you do what the Bible says? No. Well, then you're not trusting in God. Well, Dr. Torrey, there was a time he was used to bring, to see revival sh uh, shake three continents. He was 
the foremost of starting one of the uh, premier Bible colleges that almost every Bible college is patterned after to some degree because of the way that he was training students. He traveled all over and taught on the Word of God. He was someone who would... Um, just as fun time at home, he would have his kids say a, 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 a verse and he would tell them what book and what chapter and sometimes what verse it was. And it was the game they would try to stump dad. He would just know the Bible. So he knew the Bible. And they traveled as a family and they had showed up at a Wednesday night service uh, somewhere across America. And the preacher who got up was poorly educated and uh, didn't speak well. But Dr. Torrey and his family sat there and they were amazed to watch Dr. Torrey with a notebook open. And as the preacher was talking, he was listening intently and just writing things down. And afterwards, his family said, Dad, I mean, you preach better than him. And he didn't say anything new. What? Why was you so intent? What did you get out of that? He said, listen, as long as the Bible is open, God is expecting us to learn from him. You know what the principle is? That every time the Bible is open, you should approach it like you know nothing. You see, what happens when we think we know something? We're not listening. We're not paying attention. We're missing things that God is trying to get a hold of us. Because of our pride. I know this story. I know where he's going. I know what. And we miss things that God was trying to get our attention for. If I could give a personal illustration to illustrate this. I had the privilege of going through medical school. Through the military. Ended up teaching in medical school. Teaching in the military. And then in our local church. Even teaching college classes. Then after serving for 11 years at our local church, I had the privilege of going to Bible college. Now, I didn't go to Bible college for the purpose of getting educated. I went for the purpose of submitting to authority and placing myself in a place where I had to trust the Lord. But I went to Bible college with a thick purpose here. I was going to retake every class, even the ones I clept, even the ones that I took before even uh, English classes, all the other classes. And I'm going to approach every class like I know nothing. I learned so much. God spoke to me. In fact, the, the class that helped me out to this day, English grammar. A class that most people laughed at and said, why am I taking this? I learned so much. Who cares about participles? And who cares about parenthetical phrases and I learned so much and it wouldn't have happened if I didn't sit down and say I'm assuming I know nothing when I went to my bible classes even if I had a first year teacher who was nervous and whatnot and, and a subject that I knew quite well I'm assuming I know nothing and I'm allowed God to speak to me and I'm allowed to to learn and picked up so much now, again, I'm nothing special, but I'm trying to give an illustration that I know worked in my life. And I'm trying to apply to you. That it's pride that keeps us from listening. That if the Bible is open, it doesn't matter who it is the preacher is preaching. Assume you know nothing. Because let me tell you what happens because of pride. Because of pride, when the preacher is preaching, you assume you know something. You assume you know better. You know, assume you know different. And now you're thinking about what you know. Rather than what the preacher's saying. And so now you don't hear everything he said. And you base and evaluate off of what you hear. 
rather than what is said. And now you have a wrong conclusion, a wrong application, because you didn't hear everything. By the way, pride will continue to induce. And you say, listen here, that preacher was wrong when he said that. He wasn't right on that. And it's because of pride and you're evaluating. Then pride goes on and you start saying, you know what? The preacher's not right in that. Let me tell you, the preacher's not right. Now it's called gossip and discord. Those hold back revival. What is the proper response? Remember, submission is not silence. It's saying the right thing at the right time of the right spirit and the right attitude. Preacher, you said something two nights ago and maybe I misunderstood. Could you explain that to me? Maybe it's an idea that you didn't hear correctly. Or maybe things needed to be further under explained because you didn't have enough understanding to go with in the first place. 80% of the time when someone has a misunderstanding, it's because they didn't listen to me. But nope, I know better, I know preacher. And then when they come to me and I explain it, they go, oh. But because of pride, they don't go back to the people that they spread discord to, that they gossip to. And because of flesh, flesh now gets inside of them. And next time the preacher tries to say something that they're doing wrong, they go, well, preacher's been wrong. Preacher must be wrong about this. I'm good. That's how flesh works, by the way. And that holds back revival. Let me tell you, say, well, you're being plenty blunt. I'm trying to. Plain speak is easily understood. We've been praying for revival. And so we have to show how easy it is to trust in self. And that's one example. But you, if we're praying for revival, every time the Bible is open. We should just say, Lord, teach me. Assume I know nothing. And you fill in the gaps. You teach me. This will change the way that you listen to Bible preaching. Even if it's the time where we have the young men preaching. Instead of saying, oh, that's so cute. Why not assume that God's going to speak to you that night? If we have some new young preacher boy that comes and says, uh, I, I may get five minutes out of this. And we just smile and, oh, that's so good. Why don't we just assume that God's going to use them to speak to us? You understand, this is the element of pride. The opposite of faith is pride. You either trusting God or you're trusting yourself. And let me tell you, pride is so subtle. That we don't even realize we're prideful. You say, how can I tell I'm prideful? Well, listen, you don't trust in God by accident. You don't wake up one morning, roll over and say, Woohoo! I trust God! Look at what happened because I trusted God all night. But if you didn't purposely trust God, you didn't on purpose say, I'm looking to Jesus. You didn't on purpose say, I'm looking at him. I'm dying to self. Then you're trusting yourself. That's how easy it is. May I say that most of us walk in pride. Most of us walk in flesh. Most of us are not prepared to listen. I told you we're coming back. Remember what Habakkuk was doing on the tower? He was waiting for God and expecting God to tell him where he was wrong. And he was preparing to respond properly. Why? 
because he wanted God to work. Of course, we see in the next chapter, he's talking about revival. And he's talking about that we're, we need to expect God to do something. And wrath, remember mercy. That judgment is coming. What can be done about it? God still wants to use me, but it's not me. It's him. I'm trusting in him. God, it's no longer about me. There's nothing I can do. You tell me what needs to be done. You tell me what needs to be fixed. You tell me what needs to be adjusted. And I'll do it. The just shall live by faith. Now as we're talking about the opposite, here's Habakkuk. Waiting for God to speak to him. Notice with me in verse 5. As God speaks about the Babylonians. Yea also because he transgressed by wine. He is a proud Man, neither keepeth at home, who hath enlarged his desire as hell, and his death, and cannot be satisfied, but is gathered unto him all nations, heapeth unto him all people. Here is the Babylonians that are puffed up. And the rest of chapter 2, God takes time to describe the Babylonians to Habakkuk. All with this idea, how is the one phrase that you could describe them, the one word you could describe Babylonians? Pride. 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 But the just shall live by faith. And here's someone who's living by pride. By the way, notice in verse 4 again. Behold, the soul which is lifted up, that's a phrase that means pride, is not upright in him. That phrase, not upright in him, carries the idea of deceit. All pride carries the idea of deceit. Because you're lying to yourself. Or you're lying to cover it up. It starts rolling out of thing. By the way, did you know pride is an emotion? It's not logic. It's an emotion. And when someone's at the prideful stage, they want things to make them feel good. You ever been rebuked? And you play back a conversation in your mind of what you should have told them? That's pride pride because you want yourself to feel justified you want them to recognize i was right it doesn't matter if you're right or not we need to die to that fact it doesn't matter if i'm right or not but we love our flesh wants people to recognize i was right you were wrong that's pride you say, all right, what does this matter? How does this apply? Now, we've been talking about revival. I want to show us one more thing. The outcome of faith. The outcome of faith. We're turning back to Habakkuk in just a second. But turn with me to the book of 1 John. And let's see the outcome of faith. Now, we started with the object of faith. The object of faith is looking unto Jesus. That it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. Our eyes need to be on him. We're trusting in him. The opposite of faith is pride. You're either trusting in God or you're trusting in something else more than likely yourself, your intellect, your way, your thing. So now let's look at the outcome of faith. What is the outcome of faith? 1 John chapter 5, notice with me verses 4 and 5. 1 John chapter 5 verses 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? Now notice this. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? We understand the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. 
That's what we're trusting in. He's the one that brings the victory. He's the one that's the overcomer. He's the one that does it all. My faith is trusting in Him and Jesus can't lose. Jesus cannot give up. He's the one that provides the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. With God all things are possible. Where does revival come from? Looking unto Jesus. Where does victory come from in our life in building and battling? Looking unto Jesus. Where does God start to work when we're looking unto Jesus? You see, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. The humble is, I'm trusting in God, not myself. The word idea, the word picture there is that God resisteth the proud, but then he gives grace. It's almost like he puts his hand and goes, let's go together. You could get a lot more accomplished when you're trusting in God than you trying to do it yourself. You trying to fix it yourself. You trying to faith it yourself. You trying to trust in your own abilities. God can get more done than you ever could by yourself. Notice with me, if you don't mind, continuing that same thought, spiritual warfare. First uh, John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Let's see the outcome of faith. First John chapter 2. Notice, if you don't mind, verse number 17, or 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. By the way, you are either 100% trusting God, or you're 100% trusting the world. You say, I don't like absolutes like that. I'm sorry. You're either trusting in God, or you're not. God doesn't do the riding the fence thing. Someone said that if you just ride the fence long enough, all you get is torn bridges. You're either trusting in God or you're not. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Notice this. We see here the lust of the flesh. What's a good definition for this? It's trying to satisfy legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Trying to satisfy legitimate needs with illegitimate ways. There are certain things that we need. But our flesh wants to satisfy them in ways that you're not supposed to. <laughs> this is where it comes up. The lust of the flesh. You need to eat. Correct. But you know what our flesh loves? Greasy cheeseburger with extra chili and loaded on. I mean, it tastes good, but there are times that we shouldn't eat that. Now, that's a small illustration. We do have some legitimate needs, but when you try to solve them illegitimately, that's feeding the flesh. There are certain things that need to be taken care of. Notice, if you don't mind, we see on the lust of the eyes. What's a good definition for this? It's the desire to have something that's not yours to have. Something you see, and because you see it, you want it. But it's not God's will for you to have. It's not God's design for you to have. That's the lust of the eyes. But now notice this last one. The pride of life. This is the desire to please me. The desire to please me. You know, pride is everywhere. Because we all want to be somebody. You know, it's amazing that Jesus made himself of no reputation. 
that is so foreign to our flesh, so foreign to our pride, because we all want the pat in the back. We all want somebody to notice me. We want people to notice how smart we are, how great we are, how spiritual we are, how close to God we are. We can get in pride even in spiritual areas. And that it's about me and not about God. Of no reputation. This is why we don't like it when people tell us no or that we're wrong. We can't stand it. Oh, but I, I'm, I'm right some way. And we try to find some way to justify what little bit we possibly can. You're right. You're right. I'm wrong. Thank you for teaching me. We go a lot better off. Lord, teach me. Let me assume I know nothing. Oh, but our pride wants to say, I know everything. I know some things. I'm so strong. I'm so handsome. I'm so great. I'm so spiritual. I'm so... And we get to the place of pride. And it holds back revival. And it holds back because God resisteth the proud. It's part of why in revival, one of the most important ingredients, not that we could mix up a formula and make revival reign, but prayer. You know what prayer does? If you could forgive, again, personal illustration. One of the things we used to do uh, was have all-night prayer meetings. And we started having them once a week for a while. And out of a church of 8,000, we had 10 show up. Why? Because it's work. You know, when you start praying all night, it usually takes an hour or two to finally get the flesh out of the way. We don't realize how much flesh we actually have in our prayer life until the two-hour mark kind of hits. And we go, you know what? I've got a lot of self in here because it's rebelling and screaming. It doesn't want to do this. It wants to go to bed. It wants to, this is a waste of time. Uh, your flesh will start arguing. Have you ever had a prayer? It could have been just five minutes and all of a sudden your flesh is starting to yell and scream at you. It takes a while to put that thing to death. But it's not until it's put to death. Now I'm really getting a hold of the Lord. Because it's not me. It's not even my prayer life. It's not even how spiritual I am because I'm praying all night and the rest of you are... You know, we get so prideful of so many silly ways. Our pride, when you start putting to death, will start looking for any kind of handhold to hold on to. And just cling to. Look at how great I am, smart I am. That's what pride is. I want to be something. But it holds back. Begins with God. It ends with God. My part is that it's looking at God. Not me. Not me. Not me. No reputation. I can't help you, God. I could be a vessel used by you, but I can't help you. I can't do it. I can't be it. It has to be you that works. Let me be a surrendered vessel so you can get your own work. It must be God. The Bible goes on in verse 17, And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will abideth forever. You understand when God does his work, it abides forever. God's work. That's what we're looking for in the first place. 
Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. It is God that does the work. God gets the victory, not me. It's all about the Lord. Turn back to the book of Habakkuk and let's finish this up. Now we explained about this element that the soul that is lifted up is not right in him, but the just shall live by faith. Notice with Habakkuk chapter 2 really quickly again. As we explain this, I'm going to reread this passage. I want you to, in your mind to plug in all the things that I said as we walk through here. And I will stand upon my watch and set me in the tower and watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I'm approved. And the Lord answered me. You know, God sometimes is waiting for us to get out of the way so he can answer us. He said, I'd speak to you, but you're not standing still. You're not listening. God would speak to us a lot more if we would shut up, stop moving, be still, and let him know that he is God. The Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. And though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come and it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now as we're talking about the outcome of faith, let's see the outcome of the book of uh, Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. As Habakkuk now has come to the place where he realizes there's nothing he can do to change God's mind. The Babylonians are coming. He, all he can do is get out of God's way and allow God to use him. And because he's now looking at God, he's trusting in God. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. He trusts that God is working. Remember, we talked about the God of history on Sunday morning, that God knows what he is doing. God is always good and God is always right. You can trust him. God has it well in hand. God didn't make a mistake. He has all the information he needs. What is my response if I truly am faithing him? And I am truly looking unto Jesus. What is my response? Notice with me in verse number 17. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive tree shall fail. And the fields of, shall yield no meat. And the flock shall be cut off from the fold. And there shall be no herd in the stall. That's all bad things that happen. Even though bad things are happening. Even though everything fails. Even though the livelihood is gone. Even though the country is gone. Yet. Verse 18. Yet. I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. The theme this year, of course, our church knows is the joy of the Lord is my strength. Our joy comes from knowing him. And when you know him, you'll have strength. What is this? I'm looking unto Jesus. I'm faithing in him. That the goodness of God is not dependent whether everything is going good around me. God is good when everything is failing. And this is a decision. I'm going to look by faith that even when things fail in my own life, when fail, things fail in my family's life, when things fail in my country, when things fall apart, yet I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord my God because he knows what he's doing. I can faith in him. I can trust in him. He knows what he's doing. He's allowed to do whatever he wants. If he wants to bring the Babylonians, God is still good. He knows what he's doing. If he wants our president to be president, then he knows what he's doing. I can trust 
God. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord our God. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hind's feet. And he will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer of my string instruments. This is called living in the yet. Doesn't matter what happens in your life. I can trust God. If God allowed me to get sick, I can still trust God. If he could allow some horrible event to happen to my family, I can still trust God. If the government makes the Bible outlawed, I can still trust God. Why? Because it's not about me, it's about him. He knows what he's doing. He's allowed to do whatever. History is under his control. Everything's under his control. We can trust him. You see, you either live your life by force or you live your life by faith. You live your life trying to make things happen and get frustrated when they don't work out. Or you live your life saying God's still good and God's still right. And if something happens, I can still trust in him. The faith life is the life that we need. And as we're praying for revival, what is it that holds back revival? Pride. And may I remind us, pride is something we all struggle with. Pride is the one thing that we deal with on a daily basis and we don't realize it. Pride is the thing that gets in our way and it keeps us from listening to God. It keeps us from being still and waiting on God. It keeps us from listening and paying attention. It keeps us from when we're trying to read our Bible on a daily basis that we're looking at it because of pride we say I don't need this. I don't, and we won't say it like that but we're already at the place where eh, not a big deal. If I miss it, it's not a big deal. Well, if you have by faith, I need this. I need this. It's when we're at pride, I don't need to pray. I'll be all right without it. Let me tell you, until you prayed, you can do nothing and be nothing. Oh, I'm all right. Five minute prayer, five second prayer. It's good. That's pride. It's pride. We have so much pride and we wonder why God doesn't work. I have so much pride and I wonder why things don't work. For the just shall live by faith. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.